As we wrap up season one of Rolled Up, this episode features a founder who's really rewriting a number of different books. From working with factories, subscription businesses, and delivering quality goods at very affordable prices. He loses money on every single candle that he sells, but it's worth it because their customers love the products and it works with their business model. So why wouldn't you? I'm talking of Jeremy Kai, the founder and CEO of Italic. You know, what we found is that there's substantially lower brand loyalty nowadays than there used to be, first and foremost because of the internet and also because I think like customers are so much more you know, well-educated when it comes to purchasing decisions. So they are making you know, qualified decisions that are historically not things that customers would be aware of. But I think also it's just like, hey, you know, it doesn't matter if it's coming from a direct consumer brand or a legacy brand or even like a no-name brand like Italic. It's, um, you know, I'm really looking for fulfilling this use case in my life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeremy Kai, the founder and CEO of Italic. Jeremy, welcome to Rolled Up. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I know you've been incredibly busy when there's not a pandemic. You spend a lot of time in China working on Italic, where you're the founder and CEO. And interrupt me at any point if I don't hype you up enough because you truly are revolutionizing e-commerce and subscription, doing something with Italic that we haven't really seen before. But the easiest way to define Italic is your slogan, quality at cost. To give everyone a little bit of context why Italic really is like no business out there, it's not that direct-to-consumer model where you can really find another parallel. Most of your revenue, or rather most of your profits, comes from the subscriptions, if not all the profits. You're selling your products at cost and working with manufacturers to finance, but bring them more profit per order as well. And it's just totally different from every business model out there, taking elements from so many that we recognize and putting them together in as a recipe or a model that I don't think I've seen out there anywhere before. Jeremy, what am I missing from your intro? for just someone who is so, so accomplished. Oh man. Well, <laughs> it's going to be hard to, to live up to that. I, and I'd say you did a great job covering everything and, and thanks so much for having me. No, all my pleasure. As I was researching you, I just kept on finding one more rabbit hole after another to keep going down with all that you've accomplished. And then I heard on another podcast that you're only 25. So already so, so accomplished so early on in your founder's journey. Thank you. It does, it's, I certainly can't agree with you there. I, I feel like you know we haven't ha- we haven't had a home run yet, so we're we're working on that. But uh, but thank you very much for the the kind words. Well, let's dig into it and talk a little bit more about what you're most known for, which is Italic. It's a membership website where uh, you go on board for ten bucks a month, under two hundred dollars a year. Special code for the listeners. Stay tuned. Where you can access all kinds of clothing, home goods, etc. Where did the idea of it come from, and how did you get it from launch to the iteration that you're on today through that journey? Yeah. So uh, to give you a quick background on myself and the company, so um, I have your you know stereotypical tech background to a T. I uh, grew up in Chicago, went to school out east at a small school called Babson. I dropped out. 
um, did this thing called the Teal Fellowship, where they basically give you money to, to stay out of college. And, you know, that gave me them some room to convince my parents to, you know, stay out of college. And, um, and I started my first company, which was uh, a company called fountain.com. And we built basically what was a, um, a hiring automation platform for very, very large workforces. So think of like the Ubers, the Safeways of the world. And, uh, and I think the, you know, to put it simply, you know, four or five years in, we had done a lot of great things with the company. We raised a whole bunch of money. We did um, Y Combinator out in the Bay Area. And, uh, and ultimately, I think for me, it, it, it was just not something that I was personally very passionate about. You know, I don't know many kids that'll, that'll drop out of college and can truly say that they're passionate about enterprise, um, you know, HR software. So I think for me, I started to think about, you know, what are the things that I really want to work on and spend hopefully a good chunk of my career, if not most of it, on and, and, um, and it actually kind of brought me back to my roots. So my, my family's been in manufacturing for a long time, you know, some 40 odd years now. And I think that's what I grew up with. That's what, you know, we talked about at the dinner table. The idea for Italic was actually, at least I started thinking about it when I think a lot of the direct-to-consumer brands from 2015 onwards came out, you know, the second group of those brands kind of came into the industry where, you know, it was no longer about cutting out the middleman, no longer about kind of that uh, narrative that people used to talk about back in like 2008 to 2012, but more so, um, you know, just making a really nice brand and, and selling it directly to customers online and bypassing the, the retailer. So I think from the manufacturer's side, kind of the, the genesis for Italic really came from the idea that like, hey, to a manufacturer, it doesn't matter if it's a direct-to-consumer hotshot brand that, that started three to four years ago or a legacy brand, you know, to a manufacturer, it's just a client and they make the same margins either way. And I think, uh, you know, most of the times when people come into the commerce, you know, e-com world, it's typically with the idea of like, okay, well, here's a category that's historically high margin. Let's bring it online and make a whole bunch of money. We can, uh, you know, afford to acquire customers on Facebook and Google because their margins support it, you know, so on and so forth. But I think for Italic, the way we kind of set about going to build this business was really how do we empower our manufacturers to actually benefit from the uh, you know whole rise of e-com and, and the you know rising penetration in the West and uh, and really the idea for Italic is how do we basically turn our manufacturers into merchants of their own so that's really what we do underneath the hood you know obviously I could talk all day about our customer value proposition which I think you had you already went over um, really well so. Um, you know, we, we basically offer a Costco like membership where, you know, it costs 120 bucks a year. When you become a member, you get um, access to all types of products ranging from cookware to bedding to bath products to accessories and so on and so forth. But our spin on it is that it's coming from the same manufacturers as high end brands, but we're selling it for maybe 50, 60, 70 or sometimes 80 percent less than what those comparable direct consumer or legacy brands might charge. So really, that's kind of the, the idea on the consumer side. But really, for the manufacturers, it was the idea really was, hey, whoever owns the inventory owns the upside. And historically, you know, many of these manufacturers have been around for decades. They've never had a chance to uh, get a shot at the upside because they always produce inventory for a wholesale client who then marks it up, you know, five, 10, sometimes even more times when it actually ends up being sold to customers. So, um, so I think just to kind of wrap it all up, the, the idea for Italic really came from how do we empower manufacturers and you know, support them and in doing so also benefit our customers um, and really disintermediate the brand and, and retailer in doing so. 
And I think one of the things that anyone who's listening, if you go to the Italic website and you see right there on the product display page, the PDP, you really are selling the manufacturers, whether it's in a way that you might be there, the standard that they have, some of those ISO certifications, maybe you've seen driving along the highway and you see a big building that says ISO 9000 or 1400 certified, but you don't really know what it means. You just assume that it's good. The other thing that you'll notice on the PDP on the display page is that you have relative pricing. So you know how much that product costs and then how much it compares to say a private label brand or even a house brand that that factory produces. How have you seen this shift in selling the manufacturer as the differentiator and where the product is coming from versus just the product itself. For example, if you go onto the website for the Dutch oven five quart or the camping five quart Dutch oven, you openly compare it to other brands like Lodge or Weber. How do you find selling or how do you sell the manufacturer versus selling just that this is a product you can use to bake all of these goods when you go camping? Yeah, you know, I think... Um... That's a that's a tough question, but I think the the best way I'd frame it is I, I think we found um, a couple of things in, in doing this for a while now. So for one, what we found is that you can't pitch it as a factory marketplace. You can't pitch it as like, hey, you're buying from you know straight from the factory. I think that's appealing. That's a part of it, but that's not the only reason why someone's going to buy from you, right? If you wanted to buy um, straight from the factory, you could buy on Wish.com. You could buy on AliExpress. You know these platforms where. You are buying syrup from the source, but generally speaking, the quality is going to be pretty bad. But at the same time, I think, you know, because we try to pitch the whole you know, narrative around us cutting out the brand and also the brand markups in doing so, we really try to kind of show the, the quality of the product through association. So, for example, you know, in the, in the Dutch oven you named, uh, it's really two things. One is how do we prove to you, the customer, that like, hey, this is a high quality product because our customers, you know, they're not buying the cheapest version, you know, where they could go to, you know, like Amazon and buy like the kind of like the cheapest option there. But you're buying like a really, really high quality product, really well designed, but at a price point that's unparalleled on the Internet. And the way we do that is first by you know, showing the history of the manufacturer. So to your point, you know, uh, we have these certifications, this manufacturer has been around for this many years. Um, they also produce for these clients or have produced for these clients. And really for that, it's to add the quality to the product that we're selling. So it adds, you know, basically justification as to why it's a high quality product. But then we also compare our prices to both a leading, you know, direct-to-consumer brand or online brand. In that case, you could say it's Lodge, um, which has done phenomenally well over the past decade or so, but also a legacy brand where, um, generally speaking, our you know price difference is, is quite substantial. Typically, what we found is direct-to-consumer brands might be 70 to 80%. Maybe, I guess the flip side is like 20 to 30%. Um, you know, cheaper than a comparable legacy brand might charge because they cut away that retailer and instead acquire the customers directly, you know, on Facebook or Google, but still have to pay that, you know, acquisition cost. Um, whereas for us, because we have that membership fee, how we monetize through, you know, we're able to sell that for substantially less typically in that, you know, 50 to 80% range. So um, that's why we like to compare it, but also still justify, hey, this is not like a cheap, you know, bottom of the barrel type of product. It's really high quality and it's well-designed. 
Yep. And that's the hobby that I've developed over the pandemic, which is cooking. And I, when I was researching the show, I just look at your products versus the brands that you go against. And I'm just blown away at both the quality you're able to produce and the price points that you're able to, to hit. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, it kind of it kind of goes to show like how much brands and retailers are really charging for these products, right? I mean, it is, and it's my background as an entrepreneur. I thought I was smart, but I was just shocked to learn that as you move from your your manufacturer to a distributor, you have marketing costs there, and then it's not just that markup from a distributor to a wholesaler, and then again more costs there, and then finally to the end consumer just by taking a little bit out each time. Even just the marketing cost by not having to go to industry trade shows where it's like ninety thousand dollars to just build a booth before you even pay rent. It makes a significant difference in the price, but at the end of the day, without having to sacrifice any quality and because as much as marketing or anything is part of the final product and experience the quality of the stroganoff that i make in my my cast iron from metallic is going to be just as good at the end of the day regardless if you spend all that money on industry trade shows and marketing my (laughs) my sleep on my sheets is going to be just as good at three in the morning when I'm out cold. Yeah, I mean, hey, I think the the realization we had from our customer set is like we really have two customers who who love this value proposition, and and one is like your classic direct to consumer customer, maybe lives in a big city or lived in a big city, you know, well educated, leans left, your classic tried and true bread and butter of the DTC industry. But what we also do really well with is um, kind of an older audience, maybe 35, 45, sometimes 55 or beyond, where to them, it's it's not so much about like having, you know, the brand name on every product that they own, but more so like, hey, can I have a really nice product? And I don't really care about having the logo on, you know, stamped on the front. So I'll pay a premium for it. So I think to your point, you know, what we found is, I think on the customer side and also on the story side, you know, how do we kind of tell that story of like quality? You know, what we found is that, there's substantially lower brand loyalty nowadays than there used to be first and foremost because of the internet and also because i think like customers are so much more you know well educated when it comes to purchasing decisions you know they have subreddits that they can go to they have you know online forums or blogs that they'll frequent so they are making you know qualified decisions that are historically not things that customers would be aware of but i think also it's just like hey you know, it doesn't matter if it's coming from a direct-to-consumer brand or a legacy brand or even like a no-name brand like Italic. It's, um, you know, I'm really looking for fulfilling this use case in my life. Yeah, and I think that what you were saying is it's just so fascinating when you see it now as you see the option to give it as a membership. You can almost see it going cross-generational where the very traditional direct-to-consumer like you or I will buy it. And maybe we can get something for our parents as a gift. And then all of a sudden, as it comes time for Mother's Day or Father's Day, and we know that our parents just love the product so much that we just give them the membership so they stop bugging us to go and order, and it shifts gears a little bit. But you talked about this on another podcast also. It's been disclosed that you've you've raised all this has is public knowledge now that you've closed another round with color with uh, Chris Cantino and Jimmy Schmidt. So how are you going to continue to grow Italic where I think you said up until this point, you haven't spent too much on customer acquisition and it's all been pretty organic. What does the next 12 to 18 months uh, roadmap of growth look like for you as you expand product lines and ways to reach customers? I know you said it makes no sense to go to retail or pop-ups, but how will you be growing Italic in the next 12 to 18 months when so much is up in the air? 
Yeah, well, I, I've got the most boring answer for you. And the truth is, you know, I think we have a pretty unique model in which we sell over a thousand SKUs, right? And, you know, there's very few brands in the world that can say that. But on the same side, you know, we have this membership option where there's very few brands, let alone retailers or marketplaces that can offer that type of value proposition as well. So I think from, from that standpoint, we have two um, advantages. One is uh, simply the fact that, hey, our customers, like they become members, they're paying this upfront fee and really they're, what they're doing is buying into this ecosystem. You know, these are all products that you don't really buy frequently, right? Like you might buy betting once every six months, may, at, at most, maybe once a year. Um, you might buy cookware once every six to 12 months as well. You know, these aren't things that you would ordinarily buy very frequently. But on the flip side, because, you know, we have this ecosystem of product and because you trust us, once you buy into the ecosystem, let's say you buy a candle and have a great experience, then you'll buy into the, the betting and have a great experience. You know, we have an average product review across all of our products of four and a half stars out of five. So we really want to make sure like, hey, you are going to commit to like, once you have that great experience, first and foremost, like you are going to have a great second experience. And hopefully the, the goal is to drive that frequency up. So most of the times, you know, there's <laughs> there was a common narrative, I think, as well um, in, in a lot of e-com circles where it's like, hey, you know, start with this hero product. And then once you get that really going, you can introduce adjacent products to increase your lifetime value of a customer, increase your frequency of use. And honestly speaking, like very rarely does it actually turn out to be true, whether that's in the betting industry or like, there's a couple, right? Like beauty and skincare, of course, if you're, you're buying into the ecosystem or the, you know, the steps of, um, you know, the, the products that you use in a routine. But I think in, in our case, like, because we have that ecosystem, people are coming back and buying again, again and again, much, much more frequently than an ordinary brand. So we have that contribution, I think, on the, the sales side. But I think, I guess, just going directly to your question, like, you know, we have that going for us. The second point is, like, because we have this membership fee, we can be quite aggressive in acquiring the customer because the membership itself, you know, it doesn't cost us much because all we have to do is provide support. It doesn't cost the customer much because it's a one-time fee that you can basically get back in the form of one purchase, um, you know, on basically any order that we're selling. So I think for us, it's just leaning into that story. Like, how do we get more people talking about it. Our number one source consistently has always been organic referral. You know, word of mouth is very strong just because the value proposition is very unique. So I think for us, it's like, okay, you know, we have this really solid base of members who are early. How do we turn them into super spreaders and just like get the word out about what we're doing here? And then I think on the paid side, like I have to be honest, like paid is going to be our number one channel. It's not going to be pop-ups or retail. It's going to be through paid. And I think the reason why we're good at it is because we've really invested the time and energy to get that you know, infrastructure set up correctly so that we can be running experiments thoughtfully, you know, conservatively, um, and hopefully with a focus towards cash flow positivity, um, or at least, you know, within a reasonable realm. So yeah, I think that's how we've been running the business, you know, over the past two years is, is fairly conservatively, but I think we're finally ready to start, you know, being a little bit more aggressive on acquisition. Yeah, no, I like that. It was the first time I've heard super spreader used as a marketing term, which, uh, which I like. Hopefully we have more product super spreaders and less viral variant <laughs> super spreaders. So a little bit of a technical, tactical question, but you mentioned it's something that you're really proud of, which is that the average 4.5 star reviews on your products. What's the way that brands, so if uh, an entrepreneur or founder is listening to this podcast, how could they use their reviews to drive more sales and create some more super spreaders out of their customer base? And I have one more industry question and I have a personal one to take it home, but where do you see the future of subscriptions going for customers? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the main way, I mean, to be totally honest with you, like, it's very, very hard to track these things. And, you know, at the very largest scales, you, you kind of do it through brand lift, and you don't even really track it from like a ROAS or, you know, um, CPA perspective. But I think for our end, like the way we really kind of just track it very manually, is just like, hey, we have post-purchase surveys, like, how many of those are coming as direct, you know, what percentage of our website traffic is direct. And as a result, you know, that's how we'll kind of determine like, hey, this is seems to be working, we'll do constant, you know, user interviews and customer interviews to double down on like, you know, what people are talking about. I think that's oftentimes what's the most powerful message you can get is a little nugget that a customer might tell you like, hey, how would you use Italic in a conversation? How, how would you tell your friends? How did you tell your friends about this? We noticed that you referred a bunch of people um, and they'll tell us and oftentimes, to be honest, like the way they put it is probably better than the way we could have figured out how to put it because we're day in and day out about it. So yeah, I, I think, um, you know, referral is an incredibly powerful source that I think it's very hard to get the ball rolling on it. But once you do something that kind of pays dividends again and again, um, I think on what companies can do really is productizing that experience a lot more. So making it front and center, making the experience more um, incentivizing for a user beyond just like give X, get Y. I think, yeah, that's how we've kind of adopted that you know, referral being a, a major marketing channel for us. I know you've called yourself uh, more of the the ones like a service subscription like Netflix or online platform versus the bathroom or kitchen subscription products you normally think of in the direct-to-consumer space. So food subscription, toiletries, et cetera. Where do you think the future for subscription-based businesses that are direct-to-consumer? Yeah. And oh, by the way, I, I should have mentioned this up front. So forgive me, but I did ask the team to set up a little link in case anyone wanted to try it out. Like normally it's 120 bucks and we really haven't done this like at all yet. So if anyone wants to try it out, we can do, um, I think the team set up like a $60 off the $120 fee. So it's like a, the biggest discount we've ever done. But all you have to do is just go to italic.com uh, slash Roland, R-O-L-L-I-N. That can work. So in any case, if anyone wanted to try that out, it's, it's available. I think on the... Um, in a subscription side, I, I would actually frame it differently. I think, um, you know, in commerce, at least, there's like three types of subscriptions. One is a subscription where the subscription itself is the product. So that's like the oftentimes in software, right? So that's like a, um, you know, calm.com, you know, Netflix, Spotify, so on and so forth. Masterclass, you know, there's a million examples of the content being the, the actual product nowadays. And you don't have to pay additional, right? It's you're paying for access to the catalog. There's subscriptions where the subscription itself is the box that you'll receive every month on a recurring basis and you can churn out any time. You know, I think in that case, it's, you know, you have uh, things like Fun, Ipsy has done really well. Um, obviously, there's there's like pet food and, and lawn care subscriptions. You know, everyone and ever, anyone wants to build a subscription into their business nowadays. And I think it's there's good reason for that. There's not many use cases where it's actually like a, you, you know, useful part of the product so you can't force it in. But I think, in general, like, hey, if you can incentivize your customer to adopt your, your product, even if you're taking a small margin loss, like it's generally speaking worth it for retention's sake. I think the third version, which is really where we fall, this is like going into the, you know, the equinoxes of the world, or even like the Soho houses or the Costco's of the world where you're paying for access, but then you have to pay more on top of it for the actual services, whether that's, you know, a personal fitness trainer at Equinox, or in our case, like a product that you might actually buy from us, whether it's us or, or Costco, I'd say it's a, it's a very hard model to get going because first of all, you have to get your infrastructure and supply side of the business up and running ahead of demand, which is oftentimes not the case. Whereas I think you can do um, a lot of demand work 
you know, as a pure play brand. Um, whereas in our case, like because our product is the subscription, you know, it's a little bit harder of a, of a sell. So we have to do a little bit more upfront work on the supply side to make sure that like when you do indeed become a member, you know, the experience itself is great. So we have an NPS of over 40, you know, we have, um, we have a CSAT of like 97 to 98% at any given point in time. So I think what we've, what we really focused on is like, how do we drive retention? Because hopefully what we're doing here is like, even if we don't necessarily have to make money on you day one, month one, you know, quarter one, year one, maybe um, in some cases, like hopefully you have such a great experience that, you know, you'll tell your friends about it and you'll stay with us for years to come. And that's really the power of the subscription business is the long tail. You know, it's a layered cake model where like every year the, co- the retention gets a little bit better um, on a cohort by cohort basis. And hopefully you're starting to stack those cohorts on top of each other. So I think that's when you get into the places where you can become like a Netflix, where you can become like a prime where you have a phenomenal retention, but you can only do that after like being around for a very long time. So um, yeah, I would, to anyone, I guess, interested, like subscriptions, you know, depending on the business model, if it makes sense for your product, I definitely think it's worth it. If, if it's the product itself, you have to be very wary. There's been many cases where that's, you know, been attempted and, and failed. There are cases where it's worked. And then if there's, if you're trying to build the access type of model where we, where we are, I would say that's much, much harder. I would be very, very deliberate about like, hey, you will need to model out like all of your CapEx, all of the OpEx. And like, it is generally speaking, a much more resource intensive type of business. So so yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But I could talk about subscriptions all day. We'll see that for part two, the uh, the Netflix style four episode subscriptions told sort of week by week as we track the serial killer true crime of, uh, of subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. But last question, I know you're in Utah, big skiing city and that you just released ski goggles. I'm a huge cook, like I mentioned earlier. What's a product that you brought to market through Italic? You've just been a big fan of yourself as a consumer, uh, someone who drinks their their own champagne. That's a tough one because I literally use every single product like to a T. So um, it's hard to pick favorites. But yeah, I, I use our ski goggles, which was, uh, you know, je- so our merchandising kind of philosophy is very straightforward. It's like, one, we screen on um, a number of qualitative lenses, meaning like, hey, does this product have historically high margins in the, in the industry? You know, is it mature online? It's a logistically straightforward to fulfill. And generally, when it checks those boxes, it's a promising start. And then on the you know, quantitative side, we'll screen on, you know, we survey constantly, but like generally speaking, we want to, when we introduce a product, we want to know that it'll, it'll either incrementally drive um, our ability to convert new members or incrementally drive our ability to retain our current members. So in the case of ski goggles, for example, that was very much a um, ability to retain. Same with our, our weight set, where we saw in the summer, like, hey, there's this huge demand clearly from uh, a lot of our members who were telling us we want home fitness or home active um, you know, equipment or products. So we developed that, that line very quickly um, you know, to address that. So I think personally, you know, if I have to be honest, I, I'd say I love our cookware. No, um, I'm 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 very much into cooking, and I think our cookware is like can go head to head with the best of the best. And I think we're going to continue doubling down in that category. Our bedding is fantastic; it's the same manufacturer as the world's you know best resorts. So you know if you've stayed at any of those resorts and enjoyed your sleep, you know it's a pretty good start there. And then surprisingly, I would say that the two that have surprised me quite a bit are. Um, 
you know, one, our candles, we actually lose money on every candle we sell. And I could go on and on about this, but like, it's a kind of a, one of our cultural values is service culture. So, you know, anything we can do, you know, any Italic employee at any point in time has unlimited discretion to spend up to a certain amount to delight any member. So in that sense, like we've really taken that to heart with the candles. So those are ones where we actually lose money on every sale, but people love it so much that it's our number one by volume consistently. Um, and then lastly, I think, um, you know, this is kind of a weird one, but our uh, our towels, people like, if you've never used like a great towel set before, like super, super plush, super absorbent, super soft, it's kind of a really good experience that you should try at some point in your life. So, um, you know, I could go on and on. Um, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming that I, I'm not allowed to talk too much about, ranging from like the skincare, you know, products that we, we've we been testing internally all the way to, you know, even more like outdoors and, and active products. So there's a lot coming, but those are some that come top of mind for me personally. Oh, that's awesome. It's funny because I can uh, think of everything that, that you said and just visualize someone who keeps buying towels at whichever retailer or wherever they find them, just thinking that they feel good in stores and then they wash them a couple of times and they're totally flat and useless. So it's like, it sounds crazy, but if you've had good towels and then regress back, it's just, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just this lifelong quest to find them. And then when you do, you go and stock up and just hope that you never run out of towels for as long as you live. So I think that's the perfect time to wrap it up. Jeremy, we got connected on Twitter. Where can people find you? Obviously go to italic.com. I think if we do the math on the 60 bucks off, we're giving away like 250 years total worth of memberships. So lifetimes of memberships. Oh yeah. I mean, hey, we're, we're like, I'll, I'll say this now. We're going to lose money on every person who signs up from that link. So every download <laughs> of the podcast costs Jeremy six bucks back. So if you go get the discounted membership, buy the candles that Jeremy loses money on, make sure you buy some of the towels too. Yes, please. The <laughs> Hey, it's all good. We're, we're trying to keep our members happy for life. So I'm at jjeremykai on Twitter. And um, if you want to contact me, I'm at j, uh, jeremy at italic.com. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Thank you for working through all the technical difficulties at the start. You are welcome back on the Rolled Up Podcast Network at any time. Amazing. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. That's a wrap on season one of Rolled Up. Thank you to everyone who listened, subscribed, shared it with their mother-in-law, left a review on Apple. Really, really means the world to me to be compared to some of my heroes like Guy Raz and Tim Ferriss. I'm definitely coming back for season two, hopefully raising the bar for business podcasts once again. Thank you to ML Delic for working with me to produce an audio engineer script and just be my handler for the whole season. Animals back for season two as well. And if you're looking for a little bit more tactical advice day to day to help you grow as a founder, help you grow as an entrepreneur, check out my other podcast, Pit Stop. It's not nearly as polished, but it's very tactical, short, and comes out four times a week. You can get that wherever you are listening to Rolled Up. And for one last time this season, that bell means it's quitting time. So I will see you back here in a few weeks. Now it's time to go enjoy a burrito or whatever else you've got rolled up. Oh. 
OmniSend doesn't just automate your marketing, they integrate with best-in-class apps like Smile, Gorgeous, Recharge, Shopify, and more. Easily migrate to OmniSend and join 70,000 customers, from Baking Steel to the Lakers store, and automate your marketing without frustrating your customers by being relevant and timely. Get started today for free with email, SMS, and web push notifications over at OmniSend.com. Delivering Amazon-like speed to customers. That's what TB12 wanted when they went with ShipBob, and that's what they got. In addition to 25% cost savings since switching 3PLs to ShipBob, if the GOAT Tom Brady trusts ShipBob with his company, you should too head to ShipBob.com, get a quote, see how much you could be saving while also growing your business.